Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. If you think of a tree for a minute... A foundational core part of the tree is the trunk. If you sever the trunk of the tree, you get rid of the tree. You don't have the tree anymore. A trunk is a significant core foundational part of a tree. But a tree also has limbs, has branches. It has twigs. And you can maybe, maybe a limb falls off. Maybe branches fall on the ground. Those limbs can fall off, or different kinds of trees have different ways that their branches or limbs are organized. Some of them more outstretched, some of them more pointed up. Every tree, the trunk is foundational. But there are different limbs arranged in different kinds of ways around the tree. And limbs can even shift or change. Maybe they're pruned or trimmed, and it's still a tree. But if you cut the trunk, it's not a tree anymore. That mindset is often really helpful when we approach theology or the study of God or looking into God's word as well. Uh, When we look at God's word, there are some trunk issues. If you don't subscribe or if you don't adhere to those trunk issues, you're just not a follower of Christ. But then there's also limb issues, branch issues, twig issues, where maybe a person believes one thing a little differently than another. Maybe here's a, a couple of ideas. Creation, that God created the heavens and the earth. That's a trunk issue, friends. Write out Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 1. God created the heavens and the earth. I'm sure we have numbers of people in this congregation who say, well, like, ah, like, I believe maybe that happened 10 million years ago. Other people may say, ah, I think it happened 10,000 years ago. Okay, those are limb issues. The trunk is God is creator. The limb is, okay, here's when I think it happened. Here's what it looks like. Those are limbs. Those might be adjusted differently. Maybe the work of the Holy Spirit is another one. You, Holy Spirit is God. That's a trunk issue, friends. It's a trunk issue. Different kinds of denominations or gatherings of followers of Jesus say, ah, this is, we, we believe the Holy Spirit likes, works in this particular way. Or we believe the Holy Spirit works in that particular way. Those are limb issues. Does it make sense? When it comes to the book of Revelation, there are some trunk issues and there are some limb issues. There are trunk issues and there are some branch issues. So this morning... We're actually going to take a look at two different trunk issues, and then we're going to take a look at a couple of limb issues associated with those trunk issues. Know where we're going? And when it comes to Revelation in particular, this is very important, because when it comes to Revelation, it's important that we keep the trunk central, the core, the foundation, that central, but there are also a number of limb issues when it comes to the book of Revelation. So that's where we're headed this morning. Trunk issue number one, when we come to the book of Revelation, is this. God's word is inspired. That's a trunk issue, friends. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. When I use the word inspired, 
I'm not simply saying that it's inspirational. I'm not saying God gave his word an inspirational moment. The word inspiration in scripture means God breathed. In other words, his word is the breath of his mouth, and therefore, it's 100% true. It's a trunk issue. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Scripture te- that verse teaches... That our scripture, which happens in God's word, what's a trunk issue is it's from the Holy Spirit. It's not simply the dreamy works of some author. And yet the mystery of scripture is it's fully 100% inspired by God and fully truthful. And yet God used human authors to have it written down. So their personalities are expressed as well. That's a trunk issue. God's word is inspired. But there's also limb issues when it comes to the book of Revelation. That's why everybody wants pastors to speak about Revelation. Pastors don't want to speak about it. It's because there's a lot of limb issues. And one of the limb issues is, okay, Revelation is absolutely inspired. It's the true word of God. It's God-breathed. But there are a number of ways that Revelation is sometimes taken in terms of how we interpret it. And we're just going to kind of breeze through these, and then we'll kind of look at some things related. Number one is something called preterist. You don't need to write that word down. If you want to, you can. I'll just put a P up there. for Maybe you can think of pass. It's the easiest thing. The, the preterist position says, uh, Revelation was largely fulfilled already back in that particular time. We know that when Jerusalem fell in AD 70, it was a cataclysmic event, friends. It was cataclysmic. And so there's a fair number of people who would say, like Revelation is simply about the fall of Jerusalem, the power of Rome during that time, and it was literally pretty much all fulfilled at that point. Yeah, there's some stuff related to Revelation 19 through 22 that's more future, but largely it had fulfillment here. And by the way, some of you might recognize the name of R.C. Sproul. Uh, R.C. Sproul is just a, a very solid scholar and believer in Christ, has the trunk issues absolutely certain. He actually thinks, yeah, it's more preterist, it's, it's past. And so there's some real solid biblical scholars that believe fully in the inspiration of Scripture. That would say, yeah, Revelation kind of applies to the fall of Jerusalem and some of the climactic events during that time in the battle with Rome, and that's what it portrays. Another position that is called historicist, which basically says this. The events of Revelation can all be kind of connected from the uh, ascension, from the birth of Christ all the way through the second coming of Christ, but those events can be sort of pinned to different seasons and times throughout world history. In other words, maybe just give you a couple, maybe during the time of the Reformation was a time when uh, followers of Jesus were having this God's word translated into the language of people. That became such an issue that people who are literally translating God's word into the language that the common person could understand, they were killed, murdered, and martyred. It's pretty significant. 
The Holocaust is another season of time where millions and millions of Jewish people were exterminated. And so the historicist view would say, yeah, like Revelation is this kind of compilation of different events throughout church history. Yes, certainly it was written to seven churches back here. There's something about the second coming here. But mostly it's about the full history from the birth of Jesus all the way through to the second coming of Jesus. Over here, there's the futurist. Futurist would say, yeah, maybe Revelation 1 through 3 is kind of to the churches. But pretty much Revelation 4 on is related to the future. It's speaking of events that we're still waiting for, looking for, culminates in the second coming of Jesus. That's what the futurist position has. All of these friends are limbs. There's some positives about them. A preterist does just a fantastic job of acknowledging that we need to read Revelation like we do any other book in the Bible. But when we read every other book in the Bible, we start with this, this is being directed to a particular people group at that time, how did they understand it? It was directly to them. They were the best understanders of it. What does it look like to stand in their place and understand it from their perspective? Preterus has a helpful contribution to acknowledging that it was written to the people of that time. Historicists have a helpful contribution to the fact that it's relevant to us today as well. Yeah, it was written to them, but it's also relevant for us today. We don't just say, that's ah, irrelevant, it's no good. No, it, it helpfully addresses that today in our era, we need to look at the book of Revelation through just sort of the lens of some things and challenges that are happening in our day. Futurist view says, again, Revelation 1 through 3, or maybe past, that was to the seven churches. But everything from four on is, is future. And so the future's position helpfully has this focus on the fact that this thing culminates in Jesus' second coming. It's not happened yet. And so it helpfully looks for a, a time of, of climax when Jesus comes again. And so it's helpfully understanding that the story of redemption is not yet complete that there's a significant completion that's yet to happen in the future. Well, there's kind of a, a fourth approach that, uh, in probably my opinion, kind of captures a little bit of the best of all of them. And it's simply this, kind of recurring drama. Uh, all of these are limbs. All of these would say revelation is inspired. It's the inspired, but they're limbs from different angles to which to approach the book of Revelation. Uh, recurring says that Revelation is not so much a detailed account of past, the present history, or the future, but it's actually a recurring dramatic unfolding that is in some ways fulfilled multiple times, has multiple connections throughout church history because the battle between light and darkness is always happening. There's forces of God and the forces of Satan. God is allowing Satan a certain level of influence. And so it's a recurring drama, a recurring telling, an apocalyptic, metaphorical, symbolic, vivid, visual language 
of what that recurring battle looks like. You might say this, it's less about an exact script or an order of events for, for, for any particular time. Like Revelation is not a, an exact script of events for past, for the present history, or for the future. It's not intended to be this chronological script for any one of those times. Instead, it's more about a description of the recurring drama or continuously unfolding conflict between the forces of evil and God's ultimate rule. Again, we won't get into this too deeply any particular week. It's important for us to say this at the outset and give you some framework and perspective. It'll come up once in a while, and maybe we'll point to reasons why that can make sense within the text, just maybe one really quick one. For instance, Revelation chapter 12, we have this pretty much... Every one of these positions would say it's about the birth of Jesus. Well, Revelation 12, if it's in Revelation 12, it's not exactly chronological in any one of those scenarios. And so it doesn't necessarily look like Revelation 3 through maybe 19 is this strict chronological timeline. Instead, it's apocalyptic language that's highly symbolical, highly metaphorical, highly vivid, highly visual, that's intended for John's original listeners, for us today, to see the ongoing battle and conflict that's constantly existing between the forces of evil and his forces of good. Number one, it sees Revelation as God's inspired words. It's faithful to how we read the other books of the Bible. Our first lens is always, how would the readers of that time have understood it? It takes into account the apocalyptic nature of the book. It strongly values the original audience, and it also has strong application for us today. Now, just a takeaway from this, friends. The trunk of the tree is God's word that is inspired. It's absolutely true. Whether you take Revelation as preterist, historicist, future, or whether it's a constantly retelling of a recurring drama... One thing is for sure that every one of us agree on is that revelation shows us that we need to be strong in the Lord. That our battle is not against flesh and blood, but that there is a battle and we need to be strong in him. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, for struggle is not, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In my, again, humble opinion, that's what Revelation's about. It's about giving from heaven's perspective the battle that's happening among the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms and that touches earth every single day of your life. Listen, friends. Your marriage is a battle. Your desires are a battle. What you love is a battle. The thoughts that go through your mind is a battle. This ground is contested territory. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your marriage, your friendships, your sexual purity, how you deal with your finances, Every single one of those areas is a battle. It's a drama that's constantly unfolding. 
Verse 6, verse 10, 11 of Ephesians 6 say this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Friends, listen. It doesn't matter which one of these limbs you hold on to. The truth of the matter is you need to be strong in the Lord. That's something that every single one of us agree on. Maybe just a little kind of idea of might, how that might work out. And maybe for some of you, you're more the aggressive type. Like, ah, like we got to harness the power of politics and economics and military and education. Like, like we got to make sure that God's truth and God's principles are, are kind of implemented in this world. For you to be strong in the Lord means that you've got to realize you've got to trust in God's spirit and the work of his Holy Spirit rather than thinking that God's purposes are going to be accomplished through politics, military, money, education, any of that stuff. Now, as followers of Jesus, we believe all of that belongs to God. And we should influence those areas just like we influence every area. If God calls you to politics, man, we need more politicians who are faithful to Jesus. If God calls you to the world of economics, we need more economic people who are devoted to be followers of Jesus. We're to be influencers in all those areas. But the work of God's kingdom ultimately comes through the work of God's spirit. And so for you to be strong in the Lord isn't to be strong in those areas. It's to be strongly believe that the Holy Spirit's at work. For others of us, maybe we're passive. And we're kind of withdrawn, a little bit timid. Like all those areas are kind of dirty and messy. I'll just keep my faith and belief in Jesus privatized and personal. Yes, it's personal, but it shouldn't be privatized. And so for you to be strong in the Lord is for you to say, man, God, every, all these areas belong to you. I am filled with your Holy Spirit. You said that the gospel is like a mustard seed that's going to grow. And so even if I can only offer a little, I'm going to offer it to you, and you're going to make it grow. And so for you to be strong in the Lord is to say, God, cause what I do to you to do for you to be filled with the power of God's spirit and to be fruitful and to multiply. And so to be strong in the Lord on one hand might look like surrender, might look like relaxing, might look like taking a step back and saying, God, it's... Unless this is infused with your power, it's going nowhere because your power is what's going to triumph. For others of you, it might actually take, look like taking a step forward. It's like, I'm going to follow you faithfully. And I'm going to trust that your Holy Spirit is going to work in what I'm going to offer. Does that make sense? So being strong in the Lord can look like any one of those. Be strong in the Lord. Here's some ideas. Be strong in trust. Be strong in obedience. Are you strong in obedience? Be strong in humility. Be strong in prayer. Be strong in joy. Be strong in faith. Be strong in service. Be strong in love. Be strong in peace. Be strong in righteousness. Be strong in forgiveness. Be strong in surrender. Be strong in the Lord. Whatever one of these limbs you're on, the trunk is God's word isn't the inspired truth that comes from him. Be strong in the Lord. Make sense? Secondly, another trunk. 
Another trunk of scripture is simply this. Jesus will come again. That's a trunk. Jesus said when he ascended to heaven, some angels came and said, he's going to come back. And so especially in the New Testament, you find numerous times Jesus will come back. He's going to descend from heaven. He will, that's a trunk issue, friends. Now, how that works is another limb issue. But what that coming back looks like, there's varieties of opinions. Some people sort of more or less think that he's going to come partly at one point and fully at another point. To work through that, that trunk issue and the limb issue, uh, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18. I'll read it, then I'll also put some verses up here in screens in a little bit to dive into these verses more closely. Uh, some people think, some people would have the opinion, some, some limbs would be, that uh, Jesus is going to come partway initially. Those who are believers in Christ, those who have died in Christ, who have faith in Jesus when they die, are going to be caught up to meet Christ and then taken off into heaven, and then he'll come again a second time, but this time all the way to earth. And that whole, that whole idea of, of being raptured up, that word rapture, sometimes it's not necessarily overly seen in Revelation, but the primary place where that's seen is often in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me just kind of read these verses. We'll work through it. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. First part of that verse says this. The Lord will come down from heaven. That's a trunk issue, friends. It's black and white. Jesus will come again. It's a trunk issue. Without that trunk, you don't have Christianity. Christianity includes the trunk belief that Jesus will come down from heaven just as 1 Thessalonians 4 says. Verse 17 says this, and it'll be up here in the screens. Okay, after that, we who are still alive and are left, will be caught up. Let's just stop there. We'll be caught up. So it goes on to say that those who are dead, and we'll just like put a tombstone there. That's my artwork for a tombstone. Um, uh, those who are in Christ, who are alive, and those who are dead in Christ, so these people are believers in Jesus, that they will be caught up to meet Jesus. And that word caught up, is actually where we get the word rapture, harpazo. Um, we will be caught up. It's used a couple of other places in the New Testament, a number of other places, actually. Uh, one of them that I kind of find interesting is in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. Uh, Jesus is speaking. Here's what he says. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Listen, no one will snatch them out of my hand. See that word snatch? Same exact word that Paul uses when he says caught up. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. 
No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Again, it's caught up. By the way, that word also is used. I think it's remember the parable. Some of you may remember the parable of the sower sowing seeds, and there's seeds that fall on ground, and the birds snatch it up. So, whatever you believe about sometimes what is labeled as the rapture, we all we should actually all believe in a rapture. The verse says we're going to be caught up. Jesus is going to come. You will be snatched away, caught up, raptured to him. Now, where the challenging issue is, is, okay, what happens right here? This is where the limbs begin. This is where the limbs begin. Going back to verse 17, let's continue. Uh, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. Jesus is coming back with his uh, those who have already, the spirits of those who have already been present with him. To meet the Lord in the air. And so we will ever be with the Lord. Key question is, what does that word meet mean? That's where the different perspectives come in. Some people would say, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And he's going to take us back into heaven. And we'll spend a period of time there. And then Jesus will come again this time all the way to earth. And that'll be, this is kind of a half second coming because he comes part way. We're raptured. We meet him in the air. He takes followers of Jesus to heaven for a period of time. And then he descends uh, for the second coming truly and finally at the end. There's another perspective that says, well, at this meeting, we actually meet him in the air, but then we kind of immediately come back with him to earth to rule and reign with him. So those are kind of like two different kinds of limbs. Again, the trunk issue, Jesus is coming back. Trunk issue, we're going to be raptured. We're going to be caught up. Those are trunk issues. That limb issue, what's going to happen at this meeting? Are we kind of whisked off to be with Jesus for a period of time and then come back with him for the second coming? Or do we come back right away with him? Well, in order to figure that out, one of the helpful things of hermeneutics and how you interpret Scripture is how is a particular word used in other places of Scripture? It's huge. It's core. And so this word meet that you see highlighted on the screen, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, that's used only three other times in the whole New Testament. Four altogether, once is here, but only three other than that. So it's helpful to know how that word meat is used to figure out kind of like which limb is, might be most helpful. Interestingly enough, one of those times happens in the book of Matthew, Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is talking about the second coming. And he's using the parable or an illustration of bridesmaids going out to meet the bridegroom. Here's what it says. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Same exact word as 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, when we read the word meet. Same exact word. A couple of verses later in verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom come out to meet him. Now, we know what was happening there is that the bridegroom would come And the maids of the bride would go out to meet the bridegroom. 
and usher the bridegroom back to where the wedding was going to happen. They wouldn't go out to meet the bridegroom and go after the bridegroom to somewhere else. They would go out to meet the bridegroom and bring the bridegroom back to where the wedding was going to happen. And so both of those instances, it appears that the word is used for going out to meet and bringing back. She's in one other place in Acts chapter 28, verse 15. This is Luke is writing this. He uses the word we because he's referencing both himself and the apostle Paul. He's saying this, the brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming. So Luke and Paul were coming to this town. People in the town, the brothers and sisters in Christ, heard that Paul and Luke were coming. Here's what it says. And they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns. It's interesting, just like geographical marker, the Three Taverns. Again, Scripture happens in real-life time, in real-life events, real-life places. So they, they go as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. Again, same exact words. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. So we know from the rest of the text, they go out to meet Paul and Luke, and they bring them back to the town where they originally came from in order to go to meet Paul and Luke. Follow me in there? So they're here in this town. They go out to meet Paul and Luke and say, Paul and Luke, come on back to this town. We welcome you here. That's the, word, that's the way the word meet is used in Acts chapter 28 for 15. Now, we also know that in ancient cultures, when a king or a military would go out to fight, and maybe they would, they would win the battle, and they would come back to the town, that the people in that town would go out to meet the king and usher him back in victory to, back to his hometown. And so he would, they would go out to meet him and bring him back, welcome him back. So what seems to be happening, again, this is a limb issue, it's not a trunk issue. What seems to be happening here is that, yes, as followers of Jesus have faith in him, if, you're, if you have faith in Christ, if you pass away and you're buried, you will be raptured. You'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But rather than being kind of whisked away up here, Jesus, you meet the Lord in the air, and just as the word is used other places in the New Testament, you actually return to earth to rule and reign with Jesus. Seems to be the tone of what's happening in Scripture. Again, this is probably the limb where I kind of sit and we're going to look at, again, something that we can all agree on in terms of application. But probably from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, I believe that Jesus' second coming could happen in the next second or could happen in the next thousand years. I don't know. But my reading of Scripture and Revelation, I don't sort of take the perspective of, well, it can't come yet because X, Y, and Z haven't happened yet. For like the tone of scripture, the tone of scripture is this one: wait and be ready for the Lord, because He could come at any moment. Be strong in the Lord 
And secondly, be ready for the Lord. Be ready for the Lord. In John chapter 17, verse 15, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and if you remember, we looked at this a while back, probably a year and a half ago in the fall. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. My, this is what Jesus, this is what I'm not praying. Here's one prayer that you can guarantee that Jesus is not praying for you. Jesus is, well, they said this to his disciples, but by application, I think it, it has reference to us as well, but it's clear that he is saying this directly to the disciples. But I think from the scope of scripture, I think it's appropriate to apply this to us as well. He says, my prayer is not, he's saying this to some, my prayer is not that I'm going to take you out of the world. I won't leave you in the world. But what I am going to pray is that you are protected from the evil one. You're here to be my light. You're here to be my representations of my my presence in this world. And my prayer is that you would be protected from the evil one while you're still in this world. Again, that was spoken directly to the disciples. But I think it's relevance, and we won't again have time to get into all the scriptures now, but it's kind of relevance to our walk as well. Here's what he says, again, to his disciples. Sanctify them by, thy, by the truth. Your word is truth. This is, again, the ongoing prayer of Jesus. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be sanctified. Jesus prays this to the Father in heaven. He says about his disciples, I'm not going to pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you protect them from the evil one. Secondly, May you sanctify them by your truth. In other words, may by the power of your Holy Spirit, may they be set apart. That word sanctify basically means may they be set apart to bring you honor and glory. May they live life in full obedience to you. May their lives be offered to you. May they live in righteousness and obedience, joy and peace and love. May that those qualities be in ever-increasing in ever increasing amounts in their lives. That's what Jesus is praying. And I think that we can make the case from Scripture as well that he's praying that for you. At this very moment, you're being prayed for. And you're being prayed for that in ever-increasing amounts, your life would be set apart and lived for the glory of Christ. Not your own, not to accomplish your own dreams and goals, but for the glory of Jesus. Is that happening in your life? In ever increasing amounts is your life being set apart for God's purposes, for the life of Jesus to be expressed through you, for his love and joy and peace and righteousness to be seen in your life. That's what Jesus is praying. So, 
Trunk issue number one. Revelation is inspired. It's the inspired word of God. Whatever limb you want to choose, the fact of the matter is you're in a battle. Be strong in the Lord. Root and ground yourselves in him. That's why we have services. That's why we have groups. That's why we have SR kids. That's why we have... If we didn't believe that, we would shut down tomorrow. Because our passion is to help people to be strong in the Lord. It comes from the trunk of God's scripture being inspired. Secondly, Jesus is going to come again, friends. When he ascended to heaven, read these verses. When he ascended to heaven, angels showed up and said, he's going to come back exactly the same way that you see him go. So my sense is just, if that's going to happen, well, he's going to come back and his feet are going to touch the ground. Be strong in the Lord. Be ready for the Lord. I'm going to ask our team to come out and we're going to sing the song the stand and of course we can't sing the stand very well sitting so i'm gonna ask you to stand with me and uh, as we sing the song friends as we sing the song lock yourself in be strong in the lord don't be strong in your pleasure don't be strong in yourself Don't be strong in autonomy. Don't be strong in what's temporal and fading. Be strong in the Lord. Secondly, Jesus is coming back. Be ready for the Lord. Live today as if he were coming today. Live today what what, what his role in the earth is going to look like. Live in righteousness. Live in thankfulness. Live in gratefulness. Live in worship. Be strong in the Lord. Be ready for the Lord. That's where we want to stand, no matter which limb you choose. That's what brings us together. So let's sing this together.
in your truth. That your inspired word guides us. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are at work in our world and in our lives. That someday the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Son, will descend from the heavens.
and bring your kingdom to bear on this world. God, we want to be strong in you. We want to be ready for you. And we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to enable that to happen. And so in the name of the one who has eternally existed in the past, who was born in Bethlehem's manger as a human being, who lived a sinless life, who was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, who ascended to heaven and will one day return. It's in his name, the name of Jesus we pray, and everyone who agreed said, amen. 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 Everybody, just one reminder, uh, we have lots of groups being offered. Really encourage you to check these out, get engaged. Um, Prayer team is down here to the right. Love to pray for you. God bless and have a great day.